Hi, I'm Taylor Burgess, lead pastor of Cross Community, and I want to welcome you to worship with us online. We're really glad that you've chosen to join in with us today. And there's a few things that I want to highlight as we begin our time together this weekend. For those of you who are watching online on Facebook, there's several resources that we've linked to this video so that we can better serve you. The first thing you'll find is our online next steps form. Typically when we gather in person, we have these cards available every single week. And this form is important because it's the number one way that we stay connected with our church families. But if you're, you're new to cross community, you're interested in getting more connected within our church family, maybe joining a community group, which are small groups that are meeting via Zoom right now online throughout the week. If you have prayer requests that you want to share, anything that you want to learn about our church family, fill out that next steps form and our staff will follow up with you throughout the course of the week. We've also linked a COVID-19 impact form. If you or your family have been negatively impacted by COVID-19 in any way, please fill out that form and our church family would love to come around you and support you and serve you in the best way that we possibly can. Beyond this, we've also linked resources for kids ministry and for student ministry. So if you have uh, kids in your home birth through fifth grade, we've linked resources for you or uh, students sixth through 12th grade. They're having Zoom meetings throughout the course of the week. Uh, check out those Facebook pages for crossover student ministry and for cross kids and you'll find all the resources that you need for kids ministry and student ministry. And finally, we've given you the link for online giving. We're incredibly grateful for your faithful generosity and continued supports of our church family during this season. Because of how you faithfully given, we've been able to serve uh, big needs within our own church family. Last week, we were able to distribute dozens of grocery gift cards to family in need. We've been able to rally alongside community partners like Help of Beaufort to ensure that they can keep their doors open as they serve significantly more people during this season. And as many of you know, as a church family, we operate a food bank out of St. Helena Elementary school, which has remained operational during this season, uh, serving about a dozen families every single week. So thank you so much for your faithfulness and your generosity in giving. We've linked the online giving link and it's very easy to set up. Well, today we have a great opportunity to hear a message from Dave Eatman. For those of you who are part of our church family, back in early spring, we introduced Dave uh, as a volunteer staff member uh, serving us as a pastoral assistant. Dave is here locally serving military families through Crew Military Ministry, and he's the regional director for Crew Military. Today, he's gonna be bringing us a message from 1 Peter chapter three, and we're excited to have him bring the word this weekend. But thank you so much for joining in. We're excited to worship with you today, wherever you are, we love you. We miss you. Let's worship together as a church family. Guys, welcome uh, to worship with us here at Cross Community Church. Uh, we're glad that you chose to join us uh, wherever uh, you find yourself, but we're going to start here in Psalm 66. And if you would read this with me. Shout, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, Selah. So this word, uh, Selah, we see it 71 times in the Psalms, and its meaning is, is debatable. Uh, but uh, one thing we're pretty sure about is that it's a, it's a call to pause and to reflect. And I don't know about you, uh, but lately... Uh, I may seem to have more time at home. I may seem to uh, be able to have more time to pause and reflect, but I find myself uh, unable to do that. Yeah? And uh, still, these uh, moments in scriptures are, are helpful reminders uh, to pause and reflect on the goodness of the Lord. So together, uh, let's close our eyes before we start, and we're just going uh, to reflect on the goodness of God. And and do what we have read in Scripture just now. And we're going to say, 
Uh, God, how awesome are your deeds. God, our words of praise can never match the wondrous measure of your mercy. Our lips can never express the depths of gratitude that our hearts feel. In your faithfulness, uh, we have been kept, and under the shadow of your wings, we have learned to rejoice in plenty and in famine. You lead us with love and kindness, and your goodness and mercy have followed us all our days. On the highest mountaintops, uh, you are there rejoicing over us, and in the darkest valleys, we have never walked alone. We thank you that you are faithful towards us, even when we are faithless. We thank you that you knew us before we were named, that you know our needs, and that you are supplying all that we require and more out of your abundant mercy. Father, hear our hearts at their feeble best. Give you the glory that belongs to your name alone. Work in us as we work towards you today. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. You, my God, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this, I'm sure. You're my God and you saved my soul. Sure, you're my God. 
Exactly what we're doing here is we're sitting here to praise the Lord. Uh, and it's interesting that the question this morning is, what is idolatry, which is the exact opposite of, of praising, worshiping of our holy God. So as I read the question, what is idolatry, uh, you repeat back with me at home uh, the answer. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance and security. See how opposite that is uh, of what uh, the words that we just sang. Uh, this is coming from Romans one twenty one and 25. It says, For although we knew God, uh, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth uh, about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Uh, I'd, this couldn't be any more fitting uh, than what we're going through today uh, in this moment in time. The American culture has been really enthralled with the false gods of money and power, um, and we've placed our hope on shaky foundations. Uh, and now, what do we see? They're crumbling before our eyes. Um, uh, all What was a strong economy is now broken by a virus. Uh, these idols are being revealed for what they are, false foundations, shaky ground, empty vessels. They're pointless. They're useless. God, once again, is being revealed as our only hope, our only life, and we should celebrate that. He is the one place we can actually run to. He is where we can find true sustainment and hope. He is the one that is the guaranteed security for our souls, not our money, not the power, not the falsified things that we have placed our hope in outside of him. So let us heed the words of the psalmist today. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. It's a beautiful picture of the psalmist. So let us worship this God today. Great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. And through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my living home who could imagine 
right now, I just ask that you grab a Bible and open it to 1 Peter 3, uh, verses 13 through 17. Uh, in the next few moments, uh, just read this wherever you are. Uh, maybe you're with your family or with a, with a friend or maybe you're just by yourself. Um, but just read this uh, passage of Scripture and pray uh, with expectation that the Lord is going to speak to you. He's going to speak to me. He's going to speak to all of us uh, today as we are worshiping. Amen. Amen. Well, hello, Cross Church family. It's so good to be with you today. Uh, Pastor Taylor, I thank you again so much for the opportunity uh, to be with you all and to share uh, in our time in the Word together. Uh, as I was preparing for this, uh, uh, this opportunity to bring the message today, uh, I was seeking the Lord and where He would have me to go. And over the course of the past year or so, uh, there's been a passage of scripture that's just been, uh, the Lord has been just bringing to my mind back um, time and time again. Uh, and uh, especially as we look around and we see just a, a, a nation and a time where things are just so uh, polarized and politically charged and uh, so many things in our culture uh, that uh, draw people into debate. And uh, this passage of scripture is just one that's really spoken to me uh, in um, in light of all of that, and 
uh, as I began to pray in preparation, it became apparent that this is where I believe the Lord wanted us to go together. And so what I'd like to talk to us about today for a few minutes is when opposition becomes opportunity. Uh, we don't have to follow Christ very long to learn that the world around us is not always as excited uh, as we are about living a surrendered life for Christ. In fact, time and again, Scripture informs us that we can actually expect opposition to increase even more uh, as we turn away from the patterns of this world and turn to the patterns uh, that are set forth by our Lord Jesus Christ uh, and His apostles. Both Christ and the New Testament writers will tell us that as we follow Christ, we can expect to face opposition uh, from, those, uh, uh, from others who will ridicule us and revile us for our faith. And in Peter's first letter to the church, uh, we find that roughly one-fourth of what he writes is given to this reality that suffering and persecution are a reality uh, for a New Testament body of believers. Uh, specifically in our text for today, Peter is informing his audience that living out the gospel in a world that's hostile to Christ will inevitably bring about uh, conflict for the Christian. And the reality that those of us that are seeking to mature in Christ must endeavor to suffer well for the sake of the mission. For today, uh, for us today, that means that how we endure opposition as a follower of Christ will often provide us an opportunity to witness to the true hope, the living hope, that is found in Jesus Christ. So the question for us becomes, in the midst of all that's broken in this world, not only those who would oppose Christ, but also the global suffering that we see, the brokenness of sin, pandemics, how do we as the church model the hope that is in us to a world that is watching? Peter shows us here in his first epistle that when we keep Christ central in our hearts, any opposition we face can become an opportunity to point others to our living hope. We read the text just to bring us into context uh, a little bit for where Peter's at. Peter's writing presumably to uh, from Rome, uh, this is around 62, 63 AD, to predominantly Gentile believers scattered throughout the Roman provinces in Asia Minor. This would be modern day Turkey. Uh, and the time period is during the reign of Roman Emperor Nero. Now this, if you know church history or a little bit about history, this was before the great fire in Rome in AD 64. Uh, that Nero would eventually blame on Christians. And so the persecution, persecution suffering that Peter is speaking of here uh, is very likely similar to what we see uh, at this point more, of, more and more of in the West today. This would be marginalization and discrimination, scorn, mocking for those who would seek to follow Christ. Uh, and so with that context in mind, I'd like for us to turn to the text and see how uh, opposition that we might face, face in the name of Christ can in turn become an opportunity. First of all, we see opposition becomes opportunity when we exalt Christ in our hearts. Uh, Peter says in verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Much of the suffering and persecution, as we were just saying, during this time was localized and sporadic. There wasn't a formal government policy against Christians yet at this point. But pockets of persecution were beginning to rise up in the form of verbal abuse or discrimination or mocking. We know, however, that any time discrimination or persecution of any sort is allowed to exist, it can very easily move into full-blown physical persecution, as we know it did uh, just a short time later at the hands of Nero, and we know from a survey of world history that it has 
uh, from time to time, not against just Christians, but allowed uh, against any group that's allowed to be marginalized or discriminated against. So by inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, Peter is providing instruction for the church on how to respond to persecution that they're facing now and how to be ready to respond uh, to even increased persecution that's coming. Peter says an interesting thing next. Even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Now, when, if we're thinking when we read that, that doesn't seem to make sense. How would we be blessed if we're in the midst of suffering for our faith? Where in the world does Peter get this from? Well, it may sound familiar. If you were with us just two weeks ago, uh, you'll remember we read together in its entirety the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and in the Sermon on the Mount, in Jesus' final two Beatitudes near the beginning, uh, he would say in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In essence here, Peter's expounding upon Jesus' final two Beatitudes and providing, if you will, instruction for how to put these Beatitudes into practice. You know, God's economy, God's way of doing things is often so um, opposite and stands in polar opposition to the way we would do things or, uh, or ours. The Beatitudes themselves are a juxtaposition um, of God's program against the prevailing methods and mindset of how we think and how we operate. And when we're reviled or persecuted or mocked or scorned or made fun of because of our faith, uh, or for any reason, our natural reaction is to, to lash out, to react, uh, to fight back. And yet as a mature believer, we are called to a higher standard. Rather than react in fear or allow ourselves to be troubled, Peter is here urging us to honor Christ, the Lord in our hearts, as holy. Peter's borrowing from Isaiah chapter 8, where Isaiah will say, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. To honor the Lord as holy is to devote the energy and the attention of our response to the Lord, rather than the energy and the attention of our response to one that's opposing us. Essentially what Peter is urging us here is to fear God rather than man. Notice Peter emphasizes to honor the Lord in our hearts. This is a response that starts with us inwardly. We as human beings are wired to respond emotionally to the situations that are around us. God has given us those emotions. And instead of being driven to reaction out of fear or anger or frustration from those on the outside, we should be driven to trust the one who lives on the inside. But before we can do anything when we face opposition, we must first foundationally have our hearts settled on Christ, revering Him in our hearts over man. So first of all, when opposition, opposition in any form comes to us as followers of Christ, it becomes opportunity as we exalt Christ in our hearts above all others. Secondly, opposition becomes opportunity when we become evangelists of hope. Peter continues, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. You know, we've already established that God's economy stands in direct opposition to man's and to follow after Christ often means that our response to situations will not be 
what those around us would normally expect. In fact, if we're following Christ well, our response will often stand in stark contrast to the world around us and what they would anticipate or how they would anticipate us to respond. And because of this, Peter encourages us to always be ready with the why. Always be ready to defend our faith and have a good explanation for why we can display hope in the midst of suffering, in the midst of those that would oppose us, and why we are not reacting the way the world around us would expect us to react. I'd like to focus in just for a moment on one word in this verse. I really believe it's one of the key words, not only in this verse, but in this chapter, uh, especially in light of suffering and persecution and opposition, and that's the word hope. In times of trial, in times of suffering, in times of opposition, the key differentiator for the follower of Christ is hope. And what exactly is the reason for our hope? Uh, the book of Romans is my favorite book of the Bible. And uh, if you were with us last week, Pastor Taylor kind of took us through the wave tops of chapters 1 through 11 leading up to a message out of Romans chapter 12. Uh, out of Romans chapter 8 is probably my favorite chapter. It's probably one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And right in the center of Paul's theological treatise to uh, the church at Rome, we find several reasons for the hope that is in us as followers of Christ. And I just want to touch on some of them very briefly. In Romans 8.1, we find out that right out of the gate, there is no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. In 8.2, we see that we are set free from the law of sin and death by life in Christ. In verse 15, that we receive the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. In verse 18, that our present sufferings aren't even worthy to be compared to the glory that is be, to be revealed to us. In verse 21, we find out that the creation itself is being set free from its bondage to corruption caused by sin. In Romans 8, 28, and 9, we find out that God is working together all things, including suffering and opposition and pandemics and things we can't understand, to conform us more and more into the likeness of His Son, Jesus. In verse 34, we're comforted with the knowledge that Jesus Himself, even right now, is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying for you and praying for me. And in verses 35 through 39, we find out that nothing or no one can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, not even death. What a blessed eternal hope that we have to share with the world around us, church. And I'd like just to pause here just for a second because it might be that you're sitting here watching, maybe you're not a part of our church family, maybe you're new to our church, and you're wondering how in the world could I lay hold of hope like that? We all start out in the same place. And Paul would write to the church at Ephesus in uh, chapter 2, verse 12 of Ephesians, to remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But the good news is that that hope, this hope, is available to you today. Because you see, all of us begin without that hope. All of us begin. Uh, separated from God because of our rebellion and because of our sin. But in his great and tremendous love for us, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to provide that living hope, to pay that penalty uh, that was due to us in his perfect righteousness, to show forth and commend his love to us by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us. And if we will accept that by faith, and if we will turn to him and turn our backs on our rebellion and turn to God, surrendering the lordship of our life to him, we too 
can lay hold of this blessed hope that Peter speaks of. So if we have a hope like that, why in the world would we need to be encouraged to be prepared to make a defense for it? It's interesting to me that it's Peter that's giving us this instruction. As of all the disciples, Peter knew a little something about not being prepared to make a defense for the hope that was in him. We recall that as Jesus was being examined prior to his crucifixion, Peter was nearby watching and listening. And on three different occasions, Peter had an opportunity to be ready to make a defense for the hope that was in him. And instead, he allowed the fear of man to guide his reaction rather than responding in the fear of God. Matthew 26, we read, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You know, before I came to Christ, uh, or before I came into ministry rather, uh, I worked in corporate America. And I, can't, I did come to Christ while I was uh, working there. And there was a coworker of mine, I'll just call him Bob. And uh, one day Bob walks up to me and he says, hey Dave, what's the good word? Now, uh, as a new follower of Christ, I knew that, uh, you know, it was one of the things I needed to do was share my faith with others and talk about this living hope that I had. And yet in that moment, I, I, I froze and I was fearful that if I responded in that way, uh, Bob would maybe make fun of me or, or think less of me. And so I mumbled something about, you know, the weather. I can't even remember how I responded to him, but I didn't tell him what I knew to be the good word. And I was immediately convicted by that and convicted by how I had let fear of Bob override my fear of God. Interestingly, uh, a few days later, I see Bob again. And sure enough, he says, hey, Dave, what's the good word? And in my super spiritual uh, self, <clears throat> I managed to muster, I think, two words, Jesus saves. And Bob just kind of cocked his head and looked at me for a second. And then we just went on about the conversation. Uh, a few days later, sure enough, Bob walks up and says, hey, Dave, What's the good word? And I think now because I'm growing in my faith, I was able to get out four words and say, Jesus died for my sins. It's interesting how it's so easy to allow ourselves to be caught off guard in the moment by a situation to display the hope that is in us and the hope that we hold in Christ. How quickly we can fear man uh, and worry about what man has to say or what they think of us rather than fearing God. And Peter here experientially is pleading with us to be ready when the moment comes. As followers of Christ, we've been given a mission to preach the gospel and make disciples. Paul will tell young Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. And likewise, we are always to be ready and looking for opportunities to bear witness to the hope that's in us. Marine Corps General James Mattis, also our former Secretary of Defense, is famous for his one-liners, uh, most of which I could never dare say or repeat in a situation <laughs> like this. Uh, but one of his mild, milder ones that I will uh, borrow for a moment is be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill everyone you meet. Uh, if I may, I'd like to propose we appropriate that sentiment to the spiritual battle that we're in for the souls of men. 
and labor to be polite, be professional, and have a plan to share the hope of Jesus Christ with everyone we meet. You know, as Dustin was alluding to in the catechism, our hope in the West has been rooted in so many things, uh, maybe even subconsciously. Investments, the economy, our health, the given political party. And in recent days, COVID-19 has stripped a lot of that away. And we now in this day as a church, as the church, have an opportunity to point our nation and this world back to its original and only source of hope that's found in the finished work of Christ. So how do we do that? Maybe we do that by getting on our favorite social media platform and blasting the world that they're getting what they deserve. Or maybe we tell an anxious world that if they think this is bad, wait until God's judgment. Or maybe we mock those who are genuinely afraid of uh, what this might do to their health or their finances. No, I would propose that thirdly, opposition becomes opportunity when we become examples in humility. Peter continues, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You know, whether it's coronavirus or some political issue or some hot topic of debate in our culture, there's times in the church where we've taken to our social media platforms, the airwaves, even our street corners or pulpits. And instead of signaling hope and liberty, we've spewed hate and condemnation. The Great Commission was not a call to take up arms against the world. It's a call to take up our cross and follow Jesus Christ. Our calling as followers of Christ is to treat everyone, even our enemies, with dignity and respect. Going back again to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he tells us in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of the Father, of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect meaning mature. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus will tell his disciples, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by this one thing, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, let's not forget who is writing this. Uh, this is Peter. This is the same Peter who wanted to place a limited mathematical formula on the forgiveness of God and say, God, if I forgive my brother seven times, that's good, right? This is the same Peter who was very quick to draw his sword and attack Malphrus to where Jesus had to pause uh, himself being arrested and heal the man that was going to arrest him before he would allow him to arrest him. This is the same Peter who, even after the church began to grow, still struggled with the fear of man and a desire to maintain his image <clears throat> around fellow Jews, as we read from Paul in Galatians. Peter's epistles here now as an older man reflect the sanctifying effect of the Holy Spirit in his life, 
over the course of roughly 30 years since he began walking with Christ. And as a man who's been steadily maturing in Christ for around three decades, Peter can now exhort the church to employ the golden rule and to treat others with dignity and respect, trusting that when we do, even those who seek to slander us or persecute us or oppose us would be put to shame. And what this tells me, if there's hope for men like Peter, there's hope for me and there's hope for you. Oftentimes, I think we're quick to defend ourselves rather than give a defense of our hope as in Christ as a way to save face or in his attempt to prove we're right. Instead, Peter is encouraging us here to be settled that Jesus is Lord, regardless of what the world around us believes or thinks about us, to be ready to share the hope of the gospel and its eternal impact, and to be quick to treat everyone with dignity and respect and not give cause for accusation or damage our witness for the gospel. When we're persecuted, when we're discriminated against, when we're mocked, when we're slandered, when we're opposed, we can react and suffer as a consequence of our actions. Or can we, we can respond in love and allow God's will and purposes for the situation to progress unhindered and point even our enemies to the hope that we hold in Christ. I mentioned this a moment ago, but just one more brief word about it. I believe uh, social media has emboldened us, uh, has emboldened many in their vocal persecution of the church and what uh, many would probably have never said to someone's face as now being openly proclaimed on digital platforms as uh, people hide behind the safety of a keyboard. But unfortunately, many of us in the church have likely responded in kind in a way that we never would have face to face as well. We've likely all at one time or another been either tempted to or actually drawn into a debate or worse regarding our own faith or some teaching or position of scripture. I know I have. And this is an area where we need to be most ready to, to give a defense for the hope that is in us with gentleness and respect. Even more so as we come into another highly political election year, let's remember that our Messiah's kingdom is not of this world. And our ultimate deliverance comes not from a political party, but from a risen Savior. Church, let's leave room for the Holy Spirit to work and not hinder his still small voice of conviction by our big loud voice of def defending our right to be right or our right not to be insulted. Jesus' teachings were radical to a pre-Christian Israel, just as they are radical to a post-Christian America. The early church faced various elements of persecution and opposition as they endeavored to be witnesses of the hope of Jesus Christ in a pre-Christian culture. And today the Western church, even the global church faces a growing opposition as we strive to be witnesses to the hope of Jesus Christ in a post-Christian culture. The world around us is watching us, looking for a reason to discredit our claims. And when we fear man rather than the Lord, when we display more hope in our goods than in our God, and when we react loudly rather than responding lovingly to those that oppose us, the world says, aha. But when our first concern is God's desire for our life, when our hope and our God is unshaken, even when the world is crumbling in chaos around us or we face suffering or persecution or opposition on every side, and when we share the love of Christ with respect to another, remembering that they, like us, were made in the image of God, then the world has the opportunity to say, here's something different. Following Peter's pinning of this letter, persecution would continue to increase for the next couple of centuries in the church and has even continued to increase in various degrees throughout the last two millennia. Peter's instruction to the church then is our instruction for today. Jesus tells us we'll be blessed 
when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, and to rejoice and be glad when we were reviled, persecuted, and spoken evil against. Peter tells us how those who oppose us can become an opportunity to bear witness to our living hope by honoring Christ in our hearts and his opinion of us over man's, being ready and expectant for opportunities to share the reason for our eternal hope with others and treating everyone around us with dignity and respect. The question for us, church, is not whether opposition will come. The question is, will we respond in a way that a watching world is given the opportunity to bear witness to the eternal hope that is only found in Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? Eternal Father, we just come before you today, God, in our brokenness, in our sin, but in thankfulness and gratitude for the eternal and living hope that you have provided in Jesus Christ. God, I know even in my own self, even in my own life, I don't always respond to the situations that I face. There's times that I fear man rather than God. There's times, Father, that I'm caught off guard or I'm more worried about what man will think of me than I am what you will think of me. There's times I'm tempted, Father, to lash out or react out of fear or frustration or anger. And God, I give all of these to you today. I thank you, Lord, that just as we've seen in Peter's life, that your Holy Spirit that lives within us is continually working in us to sanctify us and to mature us and to make us more and more into the followers of Christ that you would have us to be so that we might have a greater and a greater impact to the tremendous beauty and blessing and magnitude of what you have offered, what you have provided in Jesus Christ. We thank you that that same Holy Spirit that was working out sanctification and maturity in Peter is working that out in us today. And I pray, Father, that if that's where we are, uh, if we are just seeking uh, growth in this area, if we know, God, that we have um, a ways to go here, that you would just work in our hearts through your mercy and through your grace and lead us to a place where we can be effective and fruitful evangelists of hope and the hope that is in Christ. And if we are watching this today, God, and wondering how we can achieve that hope. I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now you would even move in the hearts of those who don't know you and would draw them to you and quicken their hearts that they might be able to turn to you in repentance. We thank you, Lord, for your word today. We thank you for the living hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we bring all this before you for your honor and your glory. In your name we pray. against me though my footing gives away I stand upon the rock of Christ stand to kiss the waves His word is everlasting His word it will endure the hope in all my faith lies in the goodness of the Lord I will sing on I will sing while I'm sinking deep 
Amen. Dave just shared with us uh, this weekend that opposition becomes opportunity when we exalt Christ in our hearts, when we become evangelists of hope. 
and when we become examples in humility. David, I just want to say thank you for a, a strong and timely word, I think, uh, not just for our church family, but for the season that we're in right now. So those of you uh, watching online, maybe drop a thank you in the comment section or just look Dave up online. Say thank you to him uh, for serving our church family through the word this weekend. Um, thanks so much for joining in with us today. Don't forget, as we close things out, there's links available. For those of you watching on Facebook, all the forms that we talked about in the welcome today, uh, the Next Steps form, the Impact form for COVID-19, Kids Ministry Resources, Student Ministry, Online Giving. If you're watching on Facebook, those are linked to this post, and so you can uh, just scroll up and see those. Those of you who might be watching on Vimeo, you can find all of these on our church website, or you can drop by our social media page as well uh, and find all of those resources available. But we're so glad to have you join in with us this weekend. Uh, typically, every single week, uh, we close out our services by saying this banner verse from Psalm 4517, and we say this as a church family, as a statement of intent of who we desire to be, to be a people who are centered uh, on the name and the, and the fame of, of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, many of you may have noticed last week, I think for the first time in our church's history, I forgot to say it. Um, so uh, I apologize. Thank you for calling that out and noticing. That's why I usually take off the last weekend after Easter. I was pretty fried uh, last week. But to make up for it, we'll say it loud and proud today. Again, those of you may be joining us for the first time, we say this each week. This is a, a declaration that we say as a church family of who we want to be and what we want to be about. So let's say together these words from Psalm 45. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. That's why we exist. That's what we're about. Let's sing now to the glory of his name as we close our time together. We love you. Have a great weekend. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below, praise Him above the heavenly host, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Guys, we love you so much. We'll see you here again next week.